Welcome to the Revolution of Interdependence podcast. My name is Will Sampson. I'm a social scientist who guides executives and companies to new levels of growth. If you want to improve your life all by yourself, look, that's your business. But if you want help from others, that's our business. And that's what this podcast is all about, helping each other succeed. We do that by inviting people into a growing revolution of interdependence. So let's get into today's podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to a revolution of interdependence. And my guest today is EA Solkovitz. And EA was born in Chicago and Illinois. And he's the son of a milkman, but he came a multipreneur. And you know, to look at his bio, there's just a lot of accomplishments there. Um, and so we're going to talk about some of them today, but I'm we're particularly interested in this idea of giver communities and the giver university and really how to live as a giver. Um, and so that's, I know what we're going to focus on a lot, but welcome EA. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on your great show and uh, look forward to sharing with your listeners, uh, hopefully some great uh, golden nuggets today. And I have to reference for your listeners, uh, for those that watch the video, you can tell that Will is a quality man because he has a phonograph and you can tell he plays vinyl and you know, that's a man that goes for quality. So Will, thank you for having me on your show. Thank you. I appreciate it. And yes, I do, do play vinyl. It's, it's one of my, uh, one of the, one of my hobbies, one of the things I love. Awesome. So we are about creating a revolution of interdependence. I didn't come up with that term. I borrowed it most recently from, you know, from Stephen Covey. Half of the seven habits of highly effective people is about how we live interdependently. So we focus a lot on interdependence here on the podcast. So we always like to start with a question. And I think this is a great lead into your overall story, which is, can you tell us about a person or group that was a difference maker for you? Someone that Without them, you couldn't have imagined being where you are today. Uh, I can think of two that were almost back to back um, that happened in my life and uh, happy to share. Uh, I live in Michigan now, but I'm born and raised in the Chicagoland area. Uh, my father was a milkman. And back then, you know, milk came in glass gallons. Um, you know, they probably switched to plastic because of how many I broke helping my father on his milk route, you know, but at the ripe old age of five years old. But I remember, Will, when he would get up in the morning because... Um, you know, I mean, the delivery trucks, my dad had his own delivery truck, right? Small truck. And um, none of those are refrigerated. Only the big 18 wheelers were. So if you wanted to keep the, the milk chilled, which he did, he would get up at three in the morning and literally had this huge ice pick and he would chop up these six foot high blocks of ice and take those big tongs and put them on top. of. And so at five, you know, five years old, I would watch my father do this. And, and, uh, and, and I certainly have fond memories of helping him on his milk route and uh, it's funny how things come full circle again, you know, uh, and, and, you know, here we have people having their groceries delivered at home again, right. you know, just, it, it's, it always comes back around, just looks different, labeled different, maybe a new name, but it's the same old thing coming back around one more time. And uh, at 16 years old, I took my first big, big step into uh, prosperity and I became a janitor. Now I, I, I didn't mind being a janitor because business clean up. Old. Sorry, I couldn't. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it, I did. As a matter of fact, and interestingly enough, business was always picking up. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, so there, we are already the tag team there. Will I can tell <laughs> we're yeah. already that. It's great to have someone to throw the ball to, and they throw it back to you. <laughs> so, uh, but at sixteen, I was able to be bonded, which means insured, 
So that, uh, that meant basically if my buffer, when I was cleaning a place, hits a piece of equipment, insurance company to pay for it, right? That allowed me to be in expensive buildings that had expensive equipment and also expensive homes. The first person that really had a, uh, an unexpected huge impact on my life was a lady, when I say her name, it won't mean anything to your listeners until I make the movie reference. Uh, the, her name is June Martino. Uh, years ago, a few years back, there was a movie that came out, still available on streaming and probably will be for many years because it's actually a pretty good view. The name of the movie is called The Founder. Uh, it's about McDonald's and uh, Michael Keaton plays Ray Kroc. He does a great job playing him. And uh, first of all, I want to say that at the beginning of the movie, it says this is based on a true story. That's true. It's based on a true story. It's not the true story. I mean, not, you know, Hollywood spin. I lived there. I lived in Oak Brook area where the world headquarters of McDonald's was for years and years and decades. So I lived the whole phenomenon, if you will. And Ray was not the way he was portrayed in the movie. That's Hollywood spin. You got to have the bad corporate guy, you know, for drama. He, he genuinely wasn't that way. Nonetheless, Michael Keaton does a great job playing Ray Kroc. And during the whole movie, and she's in the whole movie, he's talking to this lady outside her office, June this, June this, June that. That's June Martino. That's the lady who's every Wednesday I cleaned her house. Yeah. I, when I met her, she had the third most controlling stock in McDonald's. She, she already was an icon. Everyone knew who June Martino was. Her, her mansion was in Ginger Creek, which was basically an annex to Oak Brook where the world headquarters was. And uh, so the thing that was astonishing to me about this woman was, and I was in there every Wednesday in her house. She had a full-time maid, full-time butler, Rolls Royce in the garage. I mean, just, you know, and I, and for some reason, Will, I always thought up to that point, and I was really wrong that to be really successful and really super rich, you had to be a jerk. You had to be me only, me oriented. I don't care about anyone else. I'm going to push them down. I was so wrong. It wasn't even funny. She was the exact full-blown opposite. So kind, so nice, never condescending to the help. And, 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 and even to show you, if I was buffing the floor, and she walked through the room. If I didn't look up because I was watching the buffer in the floor, she would still say hello. I mean, just wow. so approachable. One day I asked her, I got up my courage as a snot-nosed 16-year-old. And she knew who I was because I had been in there every Wednesday. And again, I always said hello multiple times every day. And uh, so approachable. So I got up my nerve and I went to ask June Martino, the icon, about what happened. And so she put her arm around me, brought me in the kitchen. And the entire, took a whole day. Even had the main butler bringing us food in the kitchen, telling me the whole story. So she'd keep telling me. And right. I'm astonished. I think, man, this woman's telling the six, it's not no 16 year. I kept looking, is she talking to someone else? Cause I couldn't believe she was making this investment right. in time in me, you right. know, a, a kid, yeah. really. And uh, so at one point she told me, and this is meant, did you see the movie by any chance? Did you catch I did. it? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. There's a part in the movie where June goes to Ray and says, Ray, we got a small problem. We're out of money. And he calls the brothers. They have an argument, you know, drama scene. We, I need more percentage, that, that, right? That did happen. It just didn't happen that way. Nonetheless, she shared with me decades earlier, way before the movie came out, that they ran out of money. And she agreed to work for Ray for nothing, for no money whatsoever. And, uh, and he agreed to give her worthless company stock and agreed to take a phone call from bill collectors if they called her and wanted money. Mm. And so I just asked her. June, why, why'd you do it? I'm a janitor. I work Friday to Friday. If I don't get paid on Friday, 
I'm not showing on Saturday. I need my paycheck Friday to Friday. Why'd you work for nothing? And she sat back. Well, I'll never forget it. And stared at me with this eye lock that was piercing. Sure. And I could tell she just left the room because I just, I realized right then I'd asked her a question no one had ever asked before. Everyone to know what happened with McDonald's. No one wanted to know why. And I was the first person to say, why'd you do it? And when she spoke about 10 seconds later, that seemed a half hour, it made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. And I remember what she said, the way she said it. And my first instantaneous thought after, when I asked her, June, she said, because I believed in Ray. Hmm. And my first thought, Will, was, that's it. I need to find me a Ray Kroc. I need it because it didn't work out too bad for her. I need to find someone that can put me under their wing and teach me all the things I don't know. Because the only thing I know for sure right now is I don't know what it is. I don't know what I don't know, (laughs) you know, and what I I should know. So I needed to find my Ray Kroc and I just threw it out there. Hmm. Where would I find my Ray Kroc? Where would he be? How would I meet him? Yeah. And a couple months later, we got a phone call, same janitorial service. I was still working there. My boss sent me to meet this man who was opening a diamond store in Chicago land area in from Detroit uh, to show him some carpeting. They were opening a brand new store and doing a rebuild. And uh, I went over there. We hit it off. He offered me a job. He became the father I never had, even though I had a father. Mm-hmm. And I became the son he never had, even though he had a son. Mm-hmm. And he became my Ray Kroc. And Wow. Uh, multimillionaire many times over and, you know, had wealthy and happiness and all the things I wanted. And I was so blessed to meet him at, at such an early age. And, uh, and, and we became truly interdependent. And, and I can share with you years ago, I used to use the term symbiotics, uh, a symbiotic relationship using the example of a bee and a flower. Without the bee, the flower would die. Without the flower, the bee would die. They have a true interdependent relationship, hence a symbiotic relationship. And I used to teach actually that, how important that was with people, that these relationships we have in our life are so critical for us. And uh, and they impact us in ways that affect every aspect of our life, business, social, and personal. And no one's teaching how to discern. You know, uh, they don't teach which flowers, which bees, you know, it's, and, uh, and there, and that discernment is a critical part. So Sam Robbins was my mentor. Um, and he was truly an amazing gentleman. Um, just in the interest of time, can I share like a three minute story with your listeners? Yes, please. Yeah. About him, about him and, and, and why I've become such an advocate for having a mentor, about why it's so important to have a Will Sampson in your life, because these mentors are important for these reasons. My mentor told me about what it was like to grow up in the Great Depression. Hmm. And he said, you know, it was very desperate times. He said people were jumping off of buildings because they lost their fortunes. He said, uh, you know, multi-mile long soup kitchen lines, multi-mile long to get a bowl of soup. He said it was desperate. And he said, and uh, I was just walking around like everyone else because everyone was walking around like they were zombies almost, you know, there. And uh, he said, I saw this guy in the back of a store. So I just went in to talk with him just to burn the clock. Turns out he was a store owner. The store was full of sewing machines that basically were collecting dust. And uh, he was the owner. And he said, no one's, no customers are coming in. They need food. They're not buying a sewing machine. That's for sure. And he said, uh, 
Uh, I'd let all my staff go, all my employees go. He said, cause I couldn't afford them. He said, I had basically opened up the store every day, just keep an eye on the sewing machines. And my mentor had this flash in his mind. And he said, how about if I helped you sell some of these? And the guy said, what do you have in mind? You know, I mean, he piqued his interest. And he said, well, certainly people can't afford a sewing machine. They need food right now. He said, but what if maybe they would buy them on payments? And he said, I'll set it up for you. And um, we can split the payments. And if anyone walks with a sewing machine, I'll back it up. So you won't be out any money. And the guy says, man, do it. None are walking out the door. So if one walks out the door that didn't, you know, I'm open. Yeah. The next thing my mentor did was truly genius. He put together a flyer and the flyer said women to work from home. Now he told me he never fully caught up with the replies and responses. He never even caught up. He couldn't. He said it was so, there was such a huge number because no one was hiring in effect that anyone was. So here's what he put together that was so extraordinary. He helped these women set up their own little shop in their own home, sold them a sewing machine on payments, gave them the patterns to make clothing, gave them the material to make the clothing with, and then guaranteed he would buy the clothing from them, thus guaranteeing their income, which means they could make the payments on the sewing machine and have income left over, which everyone desperately needed in those times. Yeah, He didn't stop there. Then he, when he bought the clothing from the women who made the handmade clothing, he sold it to stores as high quality, handmade, very deep discounted clothing that the stores then could sell to customers who everyone wanted high quality at the cheapest right. price. In 18 months, now you got to remember, I'm taking it back for a moment. He told me things were so desperate that for some of his meals, they actually ate cardboard. Oh. So mm. we're talking desperate times. Sure. In 18 months, he literally earned $1 million wow. during the depression. Wow. So went from literally eating cardboard for meals to earning a million dollars in 18 months. And he shared with me that astonishing story. And he said, really, all I did was solve everyone else's problems. He said, you know, I, I never put in any of my own money. He said, I didn't invest in any of those ideas. He said, I simply looked at the store owner and I said, what's his problem? And I helped him solve it. I looked at homeowners and people needed income and I helped them solve it. I looked at the star stores. I looked at the customers. He said, I just went down the line and solved everyone's problem. And he said, the next thing you know, he said, I earned over a million. And that was depression million dollars. Yeah, today. yeah real money. 20 yeah. million today or more in yeah. 18 months, right? So he told me the following, which was a profound aspect. He said, as you go through life, you're going to get tackled a thousand times. He said, fortunes are going to come and go and come and go and come and go. And he said, if you meet someone that says everything's been perfect in their life, start distancing yourself now because they're next. <laughs> he said, so he said, right. he said, it's going to be a whopper if everything's been perfect. He said, right. so he said, here's what's interesting about all this. He said, when you have these times in your life, challenging times and glorious, fantastic ones, he said, remember, you'll never have a money problem. And I said, what? He said, you'll never have a money problem. He said, you have idea problems, not money problems. He said, because that million dollars I earned in the heart of the depression was not because I had money. And it wasn't because I had money problems. It was because I solved their money problems. Yeah. That's why it happened. He yeah. said, there's a distinction there. He said, so remember when you go through life, when things seem lean, when the money's out there and everything's saying, stop, you don't have money problems. You have idea problems. 
every great solution, every great enterprise, all started at one point in the mind of one person with an idea. All of them, he said. So remember, it's about the ideas. So any of your listeners who may have challenges in business or something, remember, if you think you have money problems, you're looking at the wrong place. It's the ideas that will solve the money problems, not the money problems themselves. Money is just a yardstick. So at 19 years old, to finish the story of the two people that impacted my life, yeah. uh, at 19 years old, I asked Sam, I said, Sam, will you teach me everything? Teach me it all. Please don't hold back. I want to know all of it. And he said, okay, I will. But he said, I want one thing from you. When the time is right, and you will know that time, I want you to teach as many people as you can everything that I taught you. So at 19 years old, Will, I made a vow. Mm. I made an oath to my mentor that today has manifested itself as Givers University. So I would say first person that really impacted my life unexpectedly was June Martino, because I learned from her, number one, that I needed a Ray Kroc in my life. I needed yeah. a mentor, right? Yeah. I didn't know what mentor was. I didn't know how to spell it. I think I spent my hooked on phonics money on something else, you know? So uh, anyone that laughs at that always, you know, I, that always is an age gauge if they know what hooked on phonics is. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the old commercials, Absolutely. hooked on phonics, right? right? But I didn't know a mentor was, but I knew that I needed someone. So when seeking a mentor, first I share with the listeners, if you don't have a mentor, in my world, we have one word for that. That word is naive. Hmm. That's the word. Because if you don't have a Will Sampson in your life, if you don't have someone who can mentor you, now there's a difference between a coach and a mentor. A coach can teach you a skill. You know, if I want to learn how to post on LinkedIn, a coach can teach me that, right? Mentor is a different relationship. It's more confidential. It's more intimate. It's, it gets into why are you thinking that way? Not what you're thinking, but why, what's the reason you're thinking that way? And, and, and so the mentor relationship is, you know, putting together those burnt out wires. And when seeking a mentor, ask one question. Don't be afraid to ask this question. Can I ask what you've done? Don't be afraid to ask that because you will find a mentor will very quickly have that answer for you. The reason I say that's an important question, Will, is in my lifetime, I have met literally thousands of educated idiots. <laughs> and, you know, they have all the book sure. knowledge, all right. the book knowledge, all they yeah. can spew it back at you, but zero execution and zero implementation skills. They've never done it. Right. Here's the thing. When you've done it, you bring with you all the things that didn't work. And that's where the wisdom is. An educated idiot can't give that to you. They haven't done it. So they don't have the parts that don't work that, that there's where the wisdom lies, right? What didn't work, right? Don't do that because, you know, I've got a shit, I've got a scar in my shin because of that. You know, I mean, this is, I learned from that lesson. So I became a huge advocate for mentoring because of those two people to answer your question, June Martino and Sam Robbins. And that's how Givers University came about as a result. I love that. And we're going to get into Givers University in just a second. But I have a follow-up question. I want to kind of, I want to turn the usual question on its head because I loved what you, I love that bee and flower analogy and the symbiosis of a mentor relationship. I'm curious if you can reflect on what you think, and I'm assuming Sam's not with us anymore, but what you think Sam learned from you. Well, uh, I you're accurate, by the way, uh, you know, he went home way early. Uh, yeah. He had a, a diabetes in an extreme case. Uh, 
because of uh, you know, literally malnutrition, you know, living on cardboard. I mean, you know, just in the, uh, you know, for a certain time in his life, but, and that took his toll and he did go home early. But what I, I would say, if he did learn anything from me, it was that there was one person that was thirsty for why. Mm. And, and, and I think that might've been what June sort of sensed because a good mentor will be able to sense. I think June would have known, June Martino would have known if I was asking her the question, because I wanted to schmooze up the June Martino, the icon. Right. Right. But, but I think she felt, I really wanted to know what happened. You know, I mean, it, to me, it was intriguing, a, a heartfelt curiosity. And, and I think if anything that Sam learned was that there was at least one person that had a heartfelt curiosity and that could listen with bated breath. Every, I have literally have banker's boxes full of notes. When he would talk, I would take notes and then I would just think about and ponder what he said. And, and, and I think for him, that was very hopeful because then he knew it wasn't all deaf ears and the people that didn't matter, you know, and, yeah. and even today I'm fulfilling that vow and commitment I made to him. I love that. I love that. And you're fulfilling it through giver crew, uh, the giver university and giver communities. So talk to us about that. This is such, I mean, when we focus on interdependence, it's all about, it's all about giving in reciprocation. Like we, we are literally going to succeed together or we realize we're going to fail alone. So talk to us about Givers University and Giver Communities. Help, help us understand what that looks like. Excellent. Excellent. And, and it plays such an important part of interdependence. And, uh, and, and first of all, I want to say to our, your listeners, we love everybody. I say it again. We love everybody. But we teach a skill that isn't being taught anywhere else. We simply teach a skill in one word. It is discernment. In other words, AKA, we teach people how to separate the person who we love from their deeds, which we may not love. And by doing that separation, by being able to discern what they're doing, and as we say at Givers University, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Yeah. So we, we teach people the observation skill, watch them doing certain things. We even do it by checklists. We actually have one that's called 25 do's. These are the 25 deeds that you should be watching people do. Very granular, right? Not broad, innocuous swaths of information. This is what you do. This is the how-to. So literally someone could go down the checklist on the left side, see all right, make checks and on the right side, and I total on the bottom, and they already know if they're pointed in the right direction for the following reason. When we see people doing certain deeds, we can begin to discern, should I pull them closer into my life because givers bring with them the three W's of wisdom, wealth, and wellness? Or when I see them doing other deeds, should I begin to respectfully, not rude or nasty, respectfully distance myself from them? Because if I bring them closer into my life, they're going to make me collateral damage. Mm. And I ask your listeners, think about the fires you stomp out every day. Think about when your stress level goes up. What do they have in common? There's a name attached to them. No one's teaching us how to discern. A couple of interviews a guy, ago, a guy said, wow, I love this giver's taker stuff. This is great. I read a book. said I have to have five good people around me. I said, you're right. You should. One question. Which five? Five, exactly. And all of a sudden he's staring at me with this blank look. I said, do you see my point? Right. I said, which five is a really critical part? Yeah. So in the world of interdependence, 
what if we have the wrong five around us? You know, well, I know you're, you're a hyper uh, self-improvement guy. I could tell that I am too. You know, I'm, I'm a self-improvement geek, right? Yeah. But, but, and, and that self-improvement is, we need that. It's great, but no one else is teaching. What if the other guy's doing it wrong? What should I do about that? Right. And if I pull them in closer, they're going to be launching grenades into my life that I'm going to be stomping out all the time. And, and it's just because no one taught me be discerning on who you bring in close, that interdependence of your business, your family, and your life. How do you form that ideal community around you of ideal people so that that interdependence can become exponential in payoff and in results? And that's really what we want. Form the ideal community around you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I know you talk about types of giver communities. I'd love to hear what, like, what are the three types of giver communities? What do they look like? And and then we'll get, and then maybe we can get into how you begin to create those, but just let's start big picture. Like what are the, what are the different types of giver communities? Very good. Um, We use three as an example. There are many, many, many different types, right? Uh, And uh, we, and and first to define a taker community versus a giver community. um, I'm sure I ask your listeners, have you had the following happen? Come join our community, be a part of us, be it. We're all the same mind. And you join and six hours later, they're trying to sell you everything under the sun, right? Right. Right. That's not a, that's not a community. That's a prospect list. It's a customer list, right? Why are you baiting and switching me? Cause that's what that is. You know, calling a community is a customer list. So we identify those as taker communities, right? By contrast, a giver community is set up in a totally different scenario. What I'm about ready to go through in our interest of time, I'm going to sort of download it fast, but I'm also going to share with right now with your listeners where they can get it in an elongated version free. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Go to our YouTube channel. It's absolutely free, obviously, on YouTube. And uh, our our channel is Givers University, all one word, no spaces. Givers, Just type in Givers University, it comes up. The top playlist is how to form my own givers community, right? That's 21 two-minute clips, 21 of them, and they're all two minutes in length. It's the very first clip is, what's the difference between a giver community and a taker community? The next clip is, what are some of the beginning, the things you need in forming your community? Then we have the acronym D-I-S-C-E-R-N, which is the seven steps I'll hit on real quickly here in forming that community. Then we get into the agenda, all right? Now that you have a community set up, what do you do, all right? Um, so many I've seen, you know, in the book, Napoleon Hill does an excellent job explaining a mastermind. And when he explains that and brought it out, it was certainly very novel, but he doesn't say how to do it. He just says what it is. We explain to people, this is how you do it. This is, I've seen so many mastermind groups after two or three months dissipate. They just sort of fall aside, you know, go by the wayside. And that was always a curiosity. Why did that happen? Right? So we got into the granular. Why does that happen? So discern is seven letters. And it also includes the seven steps. The three kinds of giver community we use as an example in those 21 clips is the greater community, which can be any number of people, the insider community, two to 12 people, much more intimate, closer relationship. And then we have the millionaire community, which is two to 12 vetted millionaires who all get together. We use the term Junto. Junto, J-U-N-T-O, is a Spanish word. And really a Junto is anytime a group of people get together for a common purpose, that meeting is called a Junto, right? Mm-hmm. And Franklin first started really using the word back in 
uh, the 1700s. So the seven letters, I just want to hit with everyone. The elongated version is on our YouTube channel. Go there. It's free. Learn. We want you to have it. The D is for decide. How do you decide which people you want to have in your community? Mm-hmm. So yes. important. How do you decide which ones, you know, which five, right? Or whatever the number is. I is invite. How do you invite them? All right. S is seed. There are certain expectational agreements which should be in place that everyone agrees to and holds themselves accountable to before you allow them into your community. That's called seeding, right? The next is convene. Get together on a regular basis. Ben Franklin met with his uh, 12 friends every Friday night for two hours. Mm. Arguably, our very declaration of independence can be traced back to those conversations Ben Franklin had with those 12 people at his Junto. E is established. Give it a name. Ben Franklin called his the uh, Leather Apron Club. Henry Ford had a community in a Junto. He called the Four Vagabonds, right? Mm. Establish it. E means give it a name. R, rotate. Every meeting, different person should be chairing the meeting, not the same person meeting the meeting. Rotate chairs. And numbers, form other communities so that you can contribute to other communities. So again, rapid fire, decide, invite, seed, convene, establish, rotate, and numbers. There's on each one of those letters, there's actually a two-minute clip devoted to each one of them on our YouTube. So they can get the whole long version Form your communities, begin discerning, because whether you like it or not, as Will Sampson's going to teach you, hmm. every relationship you have in one way or another is interdependent. Right. And the result of that is largely part on who those are, which flowers, which bees, and no one's teaching us which ones we should be discerning with. And we don't judge people. When we say giver, we're, we're identifying giver deeds, not a person. We don't label takers when, you know, we, we are identifying taker deeds. So, and they can get all that at our website, sign up for our newsletter, giversuniversity.com, free newsletter. We email once a week on Thursday morning. It's a newsletter called the giver's toolbox. So we don't blow up their inbox. I hate when that happens. You subscribe and, you know, six emails a day from them and unsubscribe. So, uh, and, and that's it, you know, we, we, we're givers. We, we want to walk our talk and, and, and so, Build the community and learn the things that Will Sampson can teach you about how important interdependence in your life. There's no part of your life that will not be reliant on independence because without it, we would all die. Right, right. Beautiful, hopeful thoughts. Thank you. Last question. I want you to imagine some future date, 10 years, 20 years from now, where Givers University and, and just the Givers idea has become just a just a, like a key part of the human operating system. How do you think the world would be different, better, more whole? What would that look like? Uh, what a great question. We actually have a 30-year plan, month mm. by month, 30 years. In 15 years, there will be 1 billion, with a B, members in Givers University. And because of that, people will have a paradigm and begin to go towards giving first, and not going to the, what am I going to get out of it side? And, and, and being and understanding that all the rewards we get are going to be based on our contributions. And we can see our, our results are evidenced by how much we've given, not how much we've taken. And uh, so I, there will be a huge, we plan on having a huge impact as a part of my really paying back the things I learned from my mentor that I made a vow and a commitment to do. So 
we need more givers today and we need more hope and we need people to understand that it's about interdependence. Will, just what you're doing. I love that. And that is a wonderful moonshot for people to be focusing on today. So I love that idea. And thank you for being here. Thank you for the gift of your presence and your, your, your life and your story. It's uh, really, really helpful. So thank you. And I'm so glad you're with us today. Thank you, Will. I appreciate what you do and for your listeners. And uh, as we say at Givers University, don't have a good day. Have your best day ever. I love it. We'll do that. Thanks again. Bye-bye. And that's a wrap for today. Please follow me on social. You can find me at Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at TheWillSampson. Please hit the subscribe button below to be notified of the latest episodes. Thanks, everyone. And I will see you next time on the Revolution of Interdependence podcast.